0: You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation. I cover the NFL around the internet. And you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. Like us on Facebook. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Play, wherever you find podcasts, you'll find Locked On Packers, the number one. Packers podcast in the state of Wisconsin and the show for fans who know what happened. They want to know why and how you can also find us on the all new Himalaya podcast app. Like us on Facebook. So many different ways you can find Locked on Packers. I hope you find one that fits your needs. And speaking of fitting needs, the Green Bay Packers fit a need with their first pick. We're going to be talking all about day two on today's show. And let's start where the Packers started. They were sitting there with the opportunity to take a receiver and, and there were some quality receivers there to be taken. And I know a lot of Packer fans wanted DK Metcalf. They wanted Paris Campbell. They wanted one of these sexy impact players. What the Packers did instead was take a center Elton Jenkins from Mississippi state. And it's not the sexy pick. No question about it, it is not the sexy pick. On the other hand, this is a pick I really, really liked. I thought Jenkins was a top 25 player. In fact, I have Jenkins higher than Darnell Savage and Rashawn Gary. This, to me, is the highest rated player of anyone they've picked. He's 6'4", 3'14". With long arms, he's got an offensive tackle athletic profile. He's tall, he's long, he's got good feet. He is not the kind of athlete Green Bay normally prefers in terms of being just a crazy good athlete, but he is an above-average athlete. He is good enough to be sure. He's going to play guard. According to Pro Football Focus, in two years, the last two years starting in the SEC, he only gave up one sack. In the games that I watched of him, I really only saw him give up one pressure, and that was to Quinn and Williams who went number four overall. So here is here is what I said about Elton Jenkins in addition to what I just gave you. Not a people mover, but a technician who plays with good leverage and leg bend. Held his own against Bama in 2017. Doesn't get pushed around despite lacking big-time size because he plays with good leverage. He uses his length to get into the chest of defenders and has good straight line speed off the snap. He doesn't get beat in pass protection, just doesn't because he has good hands and wins. Once he latches on, he has the flexibility in his hips to get pushed back and re anchor. He held his own against Georgia in 2017. He is not a great blocker in space as a puller or getting to the second level, but this is something that green Bay is not going to ask him to do a ton of that's not something that they're going to do that often. In outside zone and and the run looks that they're going to be working with. He looked bigger in his upper body as a senior put on weight to go through the pre-draft process. Even when a defensive lineman gets the jump on him and stacks him early, he just doesn't get pushed back. Don't just don't have to worry about him at all in pass protection. I wrote perfect in his zone blocking scheme, not going to overpower anyone, but plays smart hands can get outside his frame at times, but he doesn't panic and grab so many offensive linemen do this. He's crafty in the trenches as a hand fighter has excellent flexibility in his lower body plays with a wide base in pass protection, which is part of the reason he doesn't get pushed around. He would have no problem being a guard in the NFL. And in four games, I didn't see him give up a sack or really anything that close My final conclusion, Jenkins can step into the NFL and immediately be one of the premier pass protecting centers in football. He's experienced having played in the SEC against top athletes, and his lack of power in the run game can be fixed with some growth and added strength. His technique as a pass protector, use of leverage, and the ability to wall off defenders is the kind of thing every team could use. There will certainly be teams who view him more as a guard because of the premium placed on guards versus centers, much like James Daniels last year. If he were in this class as a guard, he's probably the best interior pass protector of the group. The age isn't ideal. He's going to turn 24 in December, but centers can play for a long time in the league, and he's still going to give you eight to 10 plus years if he stays healthy. That is a late first round grade. The Packers got a first round player at 44 he can come in and push Cole Madison and compete for that right guard spot. I think this also gives us an indication that Billy Turner is viewed as a tackle long-term because even though he's probably going to start at right guard this year, you give Jenkins the opportunity. I think he's going to play guard and tackle in the preseason. I think, you know, you saw Braden Smith last year, the Indianapolis Colts take the Auburn center and then move him to tackle and he becomes a Pro Bowl player, has a great season at tackle. Jenkins has the feet for that. He has the pass-protecting ability for that, the length for that, and the experience for that. I don't think that's what Green Bay's plan for him is. Their plan for him is to play him at guard. But he has the athletic traits. So while it is a little bit of a departure for them when it comes to what they generally look for, I think it makes a lot of sense when you look at the other parts of this, given his, his fit in the Matt LaFleur offense, And just his overall profile with the experience that he has in the SEC. Again, in the SEC, he just didn't give up anything. And Tony Pauline, who has been covering the draft forever, said that the Packers around the senior bowl time were considering Jenkins with their first round pick. So this is someone that they thought could have been a first-round player, falls to them in the second. They don't have to trade up. And they get someone that can come in right away and start for them at right guard if they need him to. And if, if Brian Bulaga misses time and they want to slide Billy Daniels out to tackle or they, they want to keep him at right guard, they could put Jenkins in there at tackle. This is, this is Again, I think this is one of those things. You're going to see him play both. In the preseason, this was something they did with Derek Sherrod, now different coaching staff, different front office, but they drafted Derek Sherrod, who was an offensive tackle, and they played him at guard because they needed him at guard earlier than they needed him at tackle. They gave him that opportunity. If Billy Turner is going to be the right guard this year, I think they should give him some run in the preseason at tackle just in case they want to make that, that switch in the season, if they think Brian Bulaga is going to get hurt and they need to do that, then that's a potential option for them. This flexibility. Packer scout Charles Wall, who spoke about Jenkins after uh, the pick, said he they believe he can play all five positions. So if that's the case, you got to give him some run at offensive tackle just because the value of someone who can play that position is a little bit more. Now, just go back and look at... Some of the, the notes that I, that I made about this player I de- could be a guard, not a center. Ideal zone blocking scheme. It's not hard to see the appeal for Green Bay here. He is a perfect fit for this system. He is smart. He is long. He is athletic enough. You don't have to be a killer athlete to make the zone scheme work. You just have to understand angles. You have to understand leverage. And the fact that he is experienced. Gives him an opportunity to come in and compete right away to be the right guard. If Green Bay decides Billy Turner is going to be their right tackle, maybe they maybe they say, look, we'd rather you get adjusted to this offense as a right tackle. You're going to be our swing tackle, and we're going to have Jenkins and Cole Madison compete for that right guard spot. If they struggle, if they can't do it, we'll have you slide inside because we trust you. Otherwise, we would rather you spend the year... Billy Turner getting accustomed to this offense, getting accustomed to playing right tackle, practicing. You're probably going to have to play a couple games because Brian Bulaga is going to get hurt. Jason Spriggs' position on this team is in jeopardy because they now have so much more offensive line depth than they used to have. I know that that it is something that Jason Hershorn talked about on this podcast. Could this be someone who can compete for Lane Taylor's spot? I think. Lane Taylor had an offseason after a really solid year in 2017. I'm not as worried about Lane Taylor as some other people are, but certainly he is someone that that can play left tackle as well because of how good a pass protector he is. Pro Football Focus tweeted out these numbers. He's played snaps at every position on the offensive line in college against high-level talent. That versatility is important. I think there's no question Green Bay valued that versatility, and that was what led them to this pick right now. This tells us, I think, that they view right tackle as someone currently on this roster, whether they Braden Smith, Elton Jenkins, whether Billy Turner is that guy, or whatever the option is. I think they clearly view that player to currently be on this roster because it's too important a position for them to say, well, we'll just wait until day three and and hope a fifth or a sixth round pick or a seventh round pick can come in and do the job. I just don't think that's going to happen. And so that that leads us to conclude that their right guard and right tackle of the future are likely on this roster. But then again, these are not easy decisions and decisions about staffing, about personnel, they're never easy. Hiring is challenging, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast and smart. A place where growing businesses can connect to qualified candidates. That place is ZipRecruiter.com ZipRecruiter sends your job to over a hundred of the web's leading job boards but they don't stop there With their powerful matching technology ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash locked on. ZipRecruiter.com slash locked on. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Then at 75, Green Bay took Jace Sternberger Whose name I've been mispronouncing this entire offseason. And, you know, I think this is a pick that makes a lot of sense for Green Bay. There were players on the board I thought were better in a vacuum. Chauncey Gardner Johnson. I guess I get why you wouldn't make that pick. Remember, I said a lot of a lot of teams might have believed he was a cornerback. That was something Tony Pauline Uh, reported after his pro day that because of his size, some of the tackling issues, that he was a corner, not a safety. So I thought, hey, look, if he's going to play slot, then you're not redundant with Darnell Savage. There were receivers on the board. Hakeem Butler was someone that I thought could have made sense for them. Terry McLaurin was someone who could have made sense for them. Emmanuel Hall, the downfield threat, could have made sense for them. And I had Dawson Knox just slightly ahead of Jay Sternberger because of the athletic ability that Dawson Knox had. Sternberger did not test as well as I thought he would runs four, seven, five with the 40. He's got an agility score in the 61st percentile, his spark score, which, which tests his overall athleticism is in the 35th percentile. So he's not a great athlete. Now, I don't know that that's a huge problem because you watch him in the SEC. Texas A&M, Jimbo Fisher knows a thing or two about winning football games. They built their offense around Jay Sternberger. And he was incredibly productive for Texas A&M. 48 catches for 832 yards and 10 touchdowns as a senior. It was his lone year of college production. He started for two years at Kansas wasn't able to really do much there, transferred to Northeastern Oklahoma A&M, that's a mouthful, and then goes to Texas A&M where he almost immediately becomes uh, their, their top target. I mean, their passing offense was based around Jay Sternberger and there were games that he dominated and I understand that he doesn't have that 4-4 speed. He doesn't have that Noah Fant athleticism. He's not a TJ Hawkinson blocker. But remember the conversations that we had with Ben Fennel and the subsequent discussions we've had about tight ends in this offense. What you need is a reliable player who can create after the catch because this offense is going to get you open. And Jay Sternberger is not someone who, is, who has the athletic ability to get open on his own. But if you get him open, he runs so hard after the catch. He's physical as a runner, can make a catch and take a shot. At 6'4", 250, he's got more than enough size and frame to make catches over smaller defenders. And he was someone that Green Bay had in for a top 30 visit. So the Packers had the opportunity to draft River Smith Jr. They don't do that. Uh, they take a, a, an interior offensive lineman who, by the way, I think is really good. I think I've made that clear on this podcast. Jay Sternberger was someone that I was much higher on before he tested. Someone that I thought was a top 50 potential pick. Had he tested the way that he looks on tape? If he plays that way, if he is one of those guys who is, you know, he he plays faster than he times, is not particularly fast, and he's going to be 23 as a, a rookie. So that's not ideal. But when you watch him in the open field, when you watch him with the ball in his hands, when you watch him tracking the ball, when you watch him just as a fluid, natural athlete, he looks the part. Here's what I wrote about Jay Sternberger when I was watching him. Long, lean, tight end. I wasn't convinced he's the weight that he was listed. I listed at 250, checked in at 251. So so maybe he added weight and that slowed him down a little bit. We'll see. He's a fluid mover in the open field, even if he's a little high cut. He's a willing blocker in line, but lacks the upper body strength to dominate as a blocker. Demonstrates the ability to wall off defenders and seal holes for backs. He'll let the ball get too far into his body at times as a pass catcher, and he's not a sudden route runner. But after the catch, he's physical and does have the speed in the open field to run away from defenders. He doesn't have that physicality, that same physicality, to latch on and dominate as a blocker. Maybe that's something he can develop. He's a little slow off the line at times and will get beat inside as a result as a blocker. One of the things that he does lack as a receiver is the spatial awareness to work to get open against zone coverage to make himself available to the QB. That's something that he's going to need time to develop, but he has soft hands and shows the ability to make catches outside his frame. He dragged a South Carolina DB for almost 20 yards after making a catch down the seam. They couldn't stop him. South Carolina could absolutely they had no answers for him. He can be late to shoot his hands and overall doesn't use good hand placement to block. This is something he's going to have to work on if he wants to be the starting tight end in this offense. He lacks the upper body strength to keep linebackers and safeties off his body, and he'll get knocked off his route. He catches everything, though. Everything. If you throw it near him, he's going to catch it. Demonstrates the ability to make adversity plays, and he's a capable... If inconsistent blocker, he's not going to get open off route running, but his speed will get him open across the field. It's it's an interesting dichotomy from what we saw with his testing numbers. He can hit moving targets in space as a blocker, and although he's not powerful, he has the long arms and good enough feet to move his feet and get in position. He's one of the best run after catch tight ends in the draft, which makes him, by the way, a perfect fit for this offense because Matt Lafleur is going to get him open. So if if Matt is going to get him open, then Jace is going to have to do the rest, make guys miss, run them over. He is not going to be Richard Rodgers and try and juke dudes two yards from the line of scrimmage. He's going to run that dude over. Here's my final diagnosis of Sternberger. Sternberger is a one-year player with obvious talent. He looks like a receiver running in a straight line but moves like a tight end after the catch, shrugging off defenders and creating down the field. He has the speed to get open down the seam and run away from defenders but lacks the burst and suddenness to be a consistent route runner. He needs to get stronger to become a better blocker and isn't refined using his hands in either phase. And for someone who's already on the older side of a deep draft, that's a problem. But as a receiving weapon who can block, Sternberger fits into this deep, deep tight end class that can contribute in both facets of offense. He's a solid player who could be a Pro Bowl caliber tight end in the right offense. But because he doesn't win consistently on his own, we'll need a good QB and a good scheme to reach his max potential. Wish he would have shown better athleticism. Second round. Great. Let me read one of those last sentences again. He's a solid player who could be a Pro Bowl caliber tight end in the right offense, but because he doesn't win consistently on his own, will need a good QB and a good scheme to reach his max potential. Well, who is the Packers quarterback? I think he checks that box. And in terms of a scheme that is going to create opportunities for space for a receiver where he's not going to have to win consistently on his own. That we think, anyway, based on what we've seen in Tennessee, what we know about the the bones of this offense and the pedigree that Matt LaFleur has, that is Matt LaFleur. So for someone who, in a vacuum, may have not been the kind of elite tight end prospect of TJ Hawkinson, Noah Fant. He comes in, I had him 74 overall. Well, he was the 75th pick. I had Dawson Knox 70. So they're right in that same line. And Sternberger, if you want to just talk about production, I mean, in the SEC against, you know, he's having to play in a conference where, you know, Devin White is there, Jonathan Abram, the safety, is there, Deontay Thompson, all of those Alabama dudes. I mean, they're in that conference, and he still put up big numbers as a tight end, as a focal point of the offense that was designed, at least in some part, by a national championship winning coach. This was clearly someone Green Bay felt like can can move into that number one receiving option at tight end for the Packers who can block, who can catch, and who isn't necessarily going to create a ton on his own. But if you get him open, create space for him, then he has the opportunity to be a really impactful player for this team, especially after the catch and given the ability that he has with his soft hands. And I just I think this makes a lot of sense for Green Bay. Again, I would have liked it a little bit more if he tested a little bit better. But when you watch him, I mean, this is the SEC and he is running away from linebackers. He's running over safeties. These are not, this is not our little sisters of the poor here. He's not doing this against Division I AA players. This is in the SEC, and he's getting the job done. I, I really like what Green Bay has done on day two. And you look at the totality of this draft, we're going to talk about it in a second. Between day one and day two, there's holes. They filled those holes, and then they get this luxury pick with Rashawn Gary. I mean, it's hard not to really like what Green Bay did with their first four picks in this draft. You know, I got a text on the Locked On Packers fan hotline about the Sternberger pick, and, and you know, it was upset that, you know, look, Hakeem Butler's on the board. Kelvin Harmon's on the board. Other pass catchers available. I assume he means Dawson Knox. So why Sternberger? He says sell me on him. I guess it could be a, a female. I don't. I don't know. It could be a woman. Uh, I'm, I don't want to make assumptions on this, but they didn't give their name. If you're going to send a, a text to the Lockdown Packers fan hotline, send your name so that I can that I can name you on this podcast. I understand the the concern there. I don't know that Hakeem Butler is a better prospect than Equinemia St. Brown. I have him as higher as as a higher-rated player, but in terms of pure talent, uh, age, and the production in college, are we sure he's better than those guys? I mean, this was the conversation we had a couple weeks ago. If Green Bay is not going to take a receiver early, and by early I mean 12, 30, or 44, then just don't. And I, I kind of felt that way about tight end, but Jay Sternberger was one of those guys who early on in the draft process, I thought was in play at 44. If he'd run four, five, five or 4.6, even four, six, five, maybe, and showed a little bit better athleticism. I think he could have been in play for the Packers at that position at 44, but ultimately green Bay is able to, you know, and it's not like he was terrible again, a speed score in the 57th percentile, that's above average. An agility score in the 61st percentile, that's above average. And a college dominator ranking in the 91st percentile. So in terms of you know, yards per reception, 93rd percentile, 17.3 yards per catch in college. Broke out a little late, but in terms of what he was able to do, his pass share, that last year at Texas A&M, he was their passing game. So this is a player that you know can can do the thing. That's a that's a, a, an important piece. Hakeem Butler, you know, played on Iowa State when Alan Lazard was leading the team in receptions by a lot. He was an undrafted free agent. And I'm hearing, oh, Hakeem Butler is is wide receiver one in this draft, or he's, you know, one of the two or three best receivers in this draft. Really? Because he couldn't he couldn't become the focal point of an offense over a guy who didn't even get drafted. That kind of stuff matters. And you can say, oh, he has all this talent. Maybe, maybe physical tools, but there's a reason those coaches didn't put him on the field. And that's not always the case. But I think in college, when you look at, you know, the, the preponderance of evidence with these players, college coaches, get, talent wins. They're going to put the talented kids on the field. I mean this is going to be the case for Rashawn Gary too. I mean they they loved Rashan Gary at Michigan. That's why despite the production or lack thereof as a as a junior, they kept playing him because he's so talented, he's so gifted. But so think about the the positions where Green Bay needed to add tight end, safety, offensive line, and depth at edge. 4 for 4. 4 for 4. And I don't think they went outside, majorly outside the value range. Now, I mean, obviously, I said Rashawn Gary. I didn't love that selection because of you know some legitimate questions that I have. At least they're legitimate to me. I hope they're legitimate if I have them. But when you're when you're looking at the other selections, Darnell Savage, you know, Jonathan Abram went a couple picks later, and then we didn't get another safety for a while. Marquise Blair went. That was a huge reach for me. Nasir Adderley went. You know, only only two other safeties went in the whole second round. After that, it took a while for these other guys to go. One Thornhill finally went. You know, it's one of those things that you know I think Green Bay identified a a market inefficiency with these safeties and said, you know this this safety class is not as good as people think it is, and the NFL agreed. By the way. Then they get this interior offensive lineman who could have been a first-round pick, one of the best interior offensive linemen in the draft, the best interior pass protector in the draft, to solidify a position where they needed a long-term solution. They got it. At least they think they do. And then they needed a long-term answer at tight end. It might not be Jay Sternberger, but they, they got someone to be that guy. So you can say that teams don't draft for need. That's fine. I don't think these were reaches. I don't think they were need picks on day two. They got impact players, players who can maximally impact this team. If you get a really good pass-protecting right guard, TJ Lang, if TJ Lang were being redrafted given what he was in his prime, he goes in the first round. If Elton Jenkins can recreate that, he can be worth a first-round pick, certainly worth the 44th pick. And someone like Jay Sternberger, you know, we we see third-round tight ends make an impact all the time. He doesn't have to do it in year one because they have Jimmy Graham. They have Mercedes Lewis. He's going to get a year to figure this out, to get better, to improve as a blocker. Him and Robert Tanyan in 2020, I really like the pass-catching set of both of them. If they both improve their blocking just a little bit you know they have the kind of receiving talent that could be really fun in a Matt LaFleur offense so it's not hard to see what green bay is doing i don't want to push forward to tomorrow because green bay you know with their with their lack of picks early it's hard to look at the players that could be available for them we'll see what the situation is for them when when they're picking you know the, the day 3 is flyers that's what the day is is about that's why i wasn't upset at all about green bay taking Those fourth round picks and turning them into a higher first round pick because the draft is really, you know, 100 players. After the top 50, there is a significant drop in the likelihood you're going to get a quality player. And then after 100, it falls off a cliff. So in this draft, after about 90, you know, that would be the cutoff for me Maybe 95. I'm not worried about not having fourth round picks because I don't know that there's anyone in the fourth round that, that I would be really remiss for not having not picking. So I understand why Green Bay did it. You have a couple flyers. You get a fifth, a couple sixths, and you're just taking flyers. You got the guys you wanted. You filled the holes you needed to fill. It is hard to find now a position on this team that there where there isn't a clear plan moving forward in 2020 and beyond that Green Bay doesn't have an answer for. And that is a pretty unique position in the NFL. It is not proof that all these picks are going to work out. History says they're probably not going to all work out, but they have a plan everywhere now, everywhere. And that is a that is a pretty incredible feat for Brian Gutekinds to have turned this team around in that regard in two years, because two years ago, I think there were much bigger holes. And a year ago, there were some obvious deficiencies. They have answers for those positions now. And so this is going to be interesting to see what happens moving forward. We're going to have a show Monday. We'll be back Monday to wrap up everything related to the NFL draft, and then we'll start our draft series. We're going to get into these picks, talk about them, Rashawn Gary, Darnell Savage, Elton Jenkins, Jay Sternberger, get the latest on all of these guys and dig in a little bit more. I've studied them, but we're going to get the load on from people that have covered them, who have followed their careers, and watched them to see how they're going to impact life in Green. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, on iTunes, on Google Play, wherever you find podcasts. You'll find Locked On Packers. And anytime you want to hit us up with the Locked On Packers fan hotline, we will be answering your questions as possible next week because I know there are a lot of them. So when we wrap up this draft, we will get to your questions. Hit us up on the Locked on Packers fan hotline, 920-341-3775 to stay Locked on Packers.